Kia ora, welcome to the Wine Marlborough podcast. Whether you're curious about what makes great wine or what's going on in the soil beneath the vines, come and explore the fascinating world of grape growing and winemaking in New Zealand's biggest wine growing region. I'm your host Sophie, editor of Wine Press magazine. Wine Press and this podcast are produced by Wine Marlborough, an industry association working to grow, educate, protect and celebrate the region's wine growers. And I'm joined by journalist Kat Pickford. Morena Kat. Kia ora. Thanks, Sophie. It's great to be here in the heart of Vintage 2023, such an exciting time in the region. I know, and it sounds like it's going to be a really good harvest, which is exciting. Looking forward to tasting the results. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> and you've been talking to a couple of people that know what's going on. That's right. So I spoke to Nigel Soman, who's the viticulturist at Dog Point Vineyards, which is a beautiful organic vineyard here in Marlborough, and to Jules Taylor. So Jules Taylor is one of New Zealand's wine's modern pioneers, according to judges, who named her the Gourmet Traveller Wine Magazine New Zealand Winemaker of the Year for 2021. So it was really great just to hear how things are out in the vineyards and how excited winemakers are in the winery. Um, So yeah, more from them soon. It's so great to have our first podcast right in the middle of vintage. I think that's really appropriate and a good vintage too. Right now, you know, across nearly or around 30,000 hectares in Marlborough, and they now stretch, you know, way up the Wairau Valley. And then you've got the Awatere Valley, uh, the Waihopa Valley. These, these sub-regions are getting, becoming quite exciting, and people um, are producing these single vineyard, sub-regional wines. I've got the Lower Wairau and, of course, the Wairau Plains where it all it all began. But across that 30,000 hectares, I think yields are, are more closer to average this year. Last year they were pretty big, but uh, people are pretty happy about that. But last year, just to bombard you with some stats, um, that was more than 400,000 tonnes coming out of Marlborough, and that's 80% of New Zealand's yield. So it really does show that Marlborough is, we are the big player. We've, mm. We are um, pretty important to New Zealand's wine industry, but you know, really... The global wine industry now, the Sauvignon Blanc gets a lot of attention. Yeah, that's really incredible, really, when you put it like that. Yeah. I, I had no idea. <laughs> and you can see why they call it the Savalanche at this time of year, because of that 400,000 tonnes, or it was 414,000 tonnes, uh, nearly 90% of that pick is Sauvignon Blanc. That's that, amazing. Yeah, it really is. So Savalanche, bring it on. Um, so people are pretty excited this year. Last year was really tough, really big yields, which were – People might have wanted, but we had borders closed, so uh, no international seller hands, and they're really important at this time of year. They bring, um, you know, experience, but also they bring a really, really great buzz to the town. And I've found, and you've probably seen, that it's back again this year. It's you go into town, and the bars are busy, and there's um, every language being spoken, and I think they're really finding that in the wineries right now too. But we've also got those Kiwis that were trained up during COVID when borders were closed, and they've got that experience now to add to the really experienced international staff that are here as well. Yeah, that's right. It's like the new normal, the new normal where we've got the internationals and also these these great um, green recruits who have learnt so much in that baptism of fire of COVID period. So, um, yeah, we cover a bit of that in Wine Press um, in the April edition with uh, – talking to an intern who who was trained up over the past few years. We've got a couple of internationals who just happened to be in Marlborough and were um, stuck here. They couldn't go back home to um, Uruguay. So they've learnt um, and become, you know, they love the wine industry here in Marlborough now, so that's exciting. And, uh, yeah, just updates. So Nigel, who, who we're talking to in this podcast, he is in our vintage review that's in the latest wine press. He's pretty excited about the fruit that he's getting this year. 
with the pressures of the last few years, we've really seen wellness be high on the priority list for a lot of people, including wineries. Yeah, I think that's true, actually. Like, um, it was it was tough out there in recent years, and people put in place these these great initiatives, and lots of them are still in place now. You know, they're not pulling it away now that we've got um, a better, you know, a better situation. They're saying, well, hey, let's have this culture of care. Let's keep it in there. And, uh, you know, there's now we've got the uh, Marlborough Wine Industry Wellness Week coming up, which is a real opportunity for all of those companies to share some of those initiatives that's going social, you know, a bit of competitive wellness out there, just to spur things along and make sure that um, people keep it high on the radar. Yeah, and of course, with Cyclone Gabriel up in the North Island, I think uh, it's never been more important to think about the wellness of people. You've spoken to people up there recently, eh? Yeah, I've, I've talked to a few people up there. Uh, that work in the wineries and in the community as well. And wellness was really top of mind for them. They think that the impacts of Cyclone Gabriel are something that's going to keep um, going for the next mm. few years. So definitely something to keep in mind. Some quite nice camaraderie coming out of these things. Eh? Sometimes you get the best of people in the worst of situations. And um, there have been some pretty cool stories of communities chipping in to help. But also um, we've actually got a story in Wine Press about a wine grower, winemaker, I should say, in Hawke's Bay, who um, lost 75% of his fruit as a result of Cyclone Gabriel and was wondering how he was going to meet his markets. And he put out the call to Marlborough growers. And um, he's a Chardonnay specialist and people People, you know, came back and said, "Well, we've got we've got Chardonnay that can help you with your supply." And he's he's picked up, you know, a lot of that lost crop. So that's that's a really lovely story of Marlborough helping Hawks Bay out. And of course, now we're in peak harvest. Wineries are working around the clock, and vintage workers are working twelve-hour shifts. Yeah, it's pretty big days. I think it's interesting though because you know, once upon a time, working a vintage meant working mammoth hours. And that was a, a bit of a rite of passage, I think. People were pretty proud to say they'd just done this, you know, long stretch without a break. But times are changing, and many wineries now have a six-day working week, even in the push of harvest. Um, and that's kind of all winding back into that wellness and wine and making sure that the people aren't, you know, working themselves to the bone. They've still got other lives to live. And I think that's a really great transition that the wine industry is making. So while vintage is going on, I'm sure that's what winemakers and growers are thinking about um, and all the winery stuff, but of course there's, there's a whole lot of science that goes on around the wine industry here. And it's and some of the exciting science is actually about, I don't know, farming in the old ways, you know, regenerative um, viticulture is getting a lot of attention, organic viticulture. Uh, this year, this winter, we'll have the um, fourth uh, organic and biodynamic wine growing conference here in Marlborough. That's been huge. Um, you know, people come and it's not just organic growers that come to it, obviously, or regenerative um, vit proponents it's it's everybody that just wants to explore it do a little bit more um and you see it around Marlborough now I think you know you see these swords with flowers and um you don't see the herbicide strip that perhaps you once did see so there's a lot of change happening not just from the organic players and that's that's something that Nigel talks about a little bit in our in our chat oh so Nigel is he's the viticulturist at Dog Point like I said earlier he's been there for um 21 years now so wow. he clearly likes it. Mm. <laughs> and in 20, uh, 2009, he started that transition of the vineyards to organics. But these days, Dog Point's the biggest organic grower in the country. Um, so that's pretty amazing. And he, despite it being um, harvest and being incredibly busy, he'll still be answering questions from students and um, other growers around the country and scientists, you know, 
finding out what they're doing in the vines to make it work so well. So it's pretty amazing that he took the time to talk to us as well in this really busy time. Um, and when you were speaking with Nigel, you also spoke with Jules Taylor. Yeah, Jules is fantastic. So she's been in the business for 30 years this year, and eight of those were in Italy interspersed with harvests in Marlborough and Australia. And I find it really interesting because, of course, so Sicily, where she's worked, they've been making wine for thousands of years, you know, or or longer if you listen to the Greek myths. So um, here in Marlborough, we are turning 50 years this year of the modern wine industry. There were some vines here before then, but, uh, you know, the, the wine industry as we know it now started then. So it's so interesting to talk to someone that's, you know, been immersed in the old wine and new wine, and um, she's got a real passion for Sauvignon Blanc, so a great person to talk to uh, at this time of year. And is she pretty excited about vintage so far? Well, I, I rang her this morning just to check in, um, and her answer was yippee. So I think she's pretty excited. <laughs> Sounds excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Kat, for coming along and um, sharing what you've seen in the wine industry this harvest. It was great having you here. Thanks, Sophie. Look forward to doing it again with you next month. Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) So coming up next, we've got Jules and Nigel talking about Harvest 2023. Good morning, Jules. Good morning, Nigel. Good morning. morning. Thanks for sneaking away from the midst of Harvest. Um, To warm up, can you give us a short description, Jules, of a typical day in a Marlborough vintage for you? Oh, it often um, entails lots of walking up and down rows, tasting berries and filling up my belly. <laughs> and how about you, Nigel? Uh, getting up early, um, start with a coffee, uh, move on to picking plans, executing plans, and then having a debrief and beer at the end. Sounds pretty good. So um, how is it all looking out there now? We're in the middle of the Sauvignon Blanc harvest, is that right? Yeah, yeah, things are looking fantastic. Like we've had, we're in the middle of Sauvignon Blanc, the Pinot Noir is all in tank and we've actually started pressing off a lot of that at the winery. Chardonnay's all in um, and yeah, just little bits and pieces out there of other varieties, but Sauvignon Blanc, we're still probably about halfway to go, but everything looks so amazing we are taking our time it's going to be one of those years i think it's really lovely to hear because it was quite a patchy spring and summer can i put it that way (laughs) (laughs) you can certainly phrase it that way uh it uh hasn't been the easiest of seasons and it's it really has taken a concerted effort by the whole team to bring us through and probably one of the best um conditions we have been in for a couple of years with um yeah it's it's just lovely to have this relaxedness about harvest because everything's in a great shape mm. so this was our first um third sorry la nina year in a row um i imagine you've had to adapt to that to that inclement uh weather in the lead up to harvest yeah this thing though um la nina always sort of brings us that sort of humid easterlies and uh you get a lot more sort of sporadic heavy downpours of rain really at inconvenient times and having the third one in a row is sort of compounded uh, year upon year but with the likes of climate change and everything else it seems like the La Niña's we had uh, 10-15 years ago were less extreme than what we are getting now so every year we go on climate change we get tougher and tougher and that's um, you just learn from every season and every season you look back on what you're 
done right in a La Nina year and hope like hell you get an El Nino neutral. <laughs> yeah, I think we're heading into El Nino, aren't we? We are. So um, uh, last week, you say it's quite relaxed, but last mm. week there was a very chilly start, which was, I mean, not even unusual and unheard of for March. Yeah, very unheard of for March. So we, we certainly had our wind machines all prepped, ready to go, expecting a, um, a frost, and we got very close. I mean, we're talking a March frost, and that is something that never happens. So that's just another uh, climate change little thing we've got to adapt to and um, be ready for, and we can do that. We're lucky. One of the exciting things at Dog Point is that it's not just about adaptation is it, to climate change. You guys are mitigating as well. You're planting a carbon sink and, and growing efficiencies. So that's probably an example of what is a pretty unique vineyard. Uh, can you describe your office so I'm yeah, incredibly lucky at Dog Point. We're, we are more than just grape growers. We love the land around us, and the farm itself is quite incredible. Um, we've got uh, a, a stream running through it called Mill Stream, and it was overgrown with crack willows everything else. So we have completely cleaned that out, and now since 2005 I've been planting natives and uh, countless thousands of natives have gone in and it's it's an amazing property and I look at it now and I've been with Dog Point for over 20 years and it's that sort of thing that really keeps you in there. Uh, we've just taken out a whole lot of pine trees that were planted even before I arrived it's time for harvest and knowing that this is all going into permanent native forest after this and that is all about carbon sink and doing what's right. We we did all this work at the start with no other thought other than it's a good thing to do. That's pretty magic. And it's a lovely place to visit. It makes the wine taste better, I think, <laughs> having seen it. So um, you grew up in Marlborough, Nigel. Um, many generations, I understand. What got you into viticulture? Yeah, I had a pretty strange start into viticulture. You're sixth generation um, here in Marlborough and we were actually uh, up until I was about 17 the funeral directing family in town uh, we decided uh, to change that um, tact uh, my brother and I and uh, left the family business um, and went to university to study environmental science I spent two years hating that uh, and then viticulture was um, offered for the first time as a degree at Lincoln University I changed over and have loved it ever since. I've really found something that I can understand and make sense to me. And these days, of course, the Lincoln course comes to visit you to learn about organics. You've been on a long journey, just um, transitioning Dog Point to organics, and now um, uh, the biggest organic grower in the country. So the fourth Organic and Biodynamic Wine Growing Conference is coming up in Blenheim this winter. Um Many of the people who attend won't be organic or regenerative or biodynamic growers. What are you seeing out there in terms of, of transitioning then with conventional growers perhaps taking on board some elements of them? Yeah, it's been a really interesting um, journey for us moving into that organics. And uh, it's funny you talk about the Lincoln. It was only last week, about three, actually three days ago, that I had the Lincoln Grew um, come through. I had a, a big long talk to them about my my route to organics and everything else and where that started um but i mean we, we've been into organics since 2009 and i've been lucky because dog point's been very soft anyway in its approach and um 
we were starting even before we were organic. We were trying to get rid of insecticides and using Lincoln University sort of research with um, Professor Steve Rattenley and Sam Scarrett on planting buckwheat and phacelia for um, beneficial insects for the wasps uh, to target certain pests. And so we've done a lot of things like that and then moving into organics um, and then actually seeing what we've done in organics that's worked really well that has then pushed over into what we've got left with um, our conventional. And yes, while we're New Zealand's largest organic grower, uh, we do still have a few conventional blocks that um, we've learnt over the years to transition slowly as opposed to uh, go in and do it fast. Even though that worked for us the first time, it didn't work for us again. So there are lots of little bits and pieces that we have taken from organics uh, across to the conventional and sitting on the New Zealand Wine Environment Committee, uh, we're always talking about ways that we can soften the approach of the conventional and what we can take from organics through. So the Biodynamic Organic Wine Growing Conference is, is a great tool for sharing these ideas. Um, the focus on soil health now is quite incredible, uh, and a lot of that was driven out of the first uh, two conferences, the focus on soil microbes, soil health, then the BRI and uh, Plant and Food got involved with their seven-year um Vineyard Ecosystems Project, which looked at the soil microbes and all the relationships that go with it. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that have come from that that have pushed across to conventional growing. Yeah, that's pretty exciting how the soil and the microbes are giving the wines that signature. It's a tour people have long spoken of. So when you, um, at this time of year, um, Jules has talked about... I'll just jump in there. Like you're saying like how that gives a signature. And one of those really interesting facts that I love, and I love... I'm saying this all the time is uh, every grapevine in the world is 96% exactly the same as everywhere. It's that 4% uh, that gives you your difference and that 4% comes from the soil. So looking after your soil, looking after the microbes and the composition gives you your individuality and gives you what you are. So yeah, that's a big part of it. Yeah, no, Marcus Pickens, I'm the general manager at Wine Marlborough. Wine Marlborough is a membership organisation, so we represent the common interests of uh, nearly 700 members, which would be you know a large number of grape growers in Marlborough and the wine companies that operate here as well. How do we reach our members is quite an interesting um, concept because... You know, we are working hard on everyone's behalf, but sometimes people wouldn't have any idea about what we're doing and how to get information. And and they're very, very busy as well, doing what they're really good at, and we're doing what we're really good at. Um, sometimes, you know, meeting those two, finding them together is, is quite challenging, informing people of what we do. So I guess, you know, new tools like a podcast to share information is important, but also, of course, we've got Wine Press, we've got our website www.winemulber.nz we've got our social activities we've got ourselves and, and the phone is you know phone or drop in visit anytime anyone's got any concerns make make their lives easier uh, we're a really small organisation but we really do our best to represent the common interests I guess you know and that's very challenging with you know nearly 700 members uh, you know you can't always have one voice but there's many 
many areas where there is a very clear direction of travel. Um, yeah, and we're refining that as we go. So um, Jules has talked to us about walking around with a belly full of grapes. Is that what you do at this time of year as well? No. Basically, I'm sick of walking around vineyards by this time of year. <laughs> and it really is. Um, for, this is the point. We've got it. We've got the vineyards to this point and, and now really is 100% up to the winemaker. We are there um, to support their decisions and make their decisions happen because ultimately it is their wine. Um, we are just the vehicle to get it there. Hmm. So, Jules, That's over to you and that. <laughs> <laughs> what does your video say? Oh, it's a team effort for yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Um, and I mean, I this time of year, I mean, yeah, all that hard work has been done, but it's just super fun every day. Or you know, if if you go sort of through a vineyard, say on a Monday, taste the fruit. You go back five days later, it's really interesting to see, you know, depending on the weather and what's happened and how warm it's been and all those kind of things, how the flavours develop. And we're so lucky here to be, um, I mean, the valley and the Awatiti Valley, the Wairo and the Awatiti are so different, you know, and even within the valleys, fruit is so different, you know, as Nigel was saying, soil plays a huge part in that. Um, But yeah, we are so lucky to have so much variation when it comes to that, that it gives wines, you know, their, their personality. And there are, you know, people say to me, oh, my God, I hate my Wilson and your Blanc. It's like, nah, that's just BS. You just haven't found the one that suits your palate. Mm. I mean, some of them can be polarizing. Some of them, I know the ones that have that really, really full on, for me, that really capsicum-y kind of herbaceousness, you know, that might not be my favorite. I might use those to steam the muscles open. Mm. Uh but, you know, those ones that's, you know, a little bit more richness, a bit more um, tropical driven, slightly, I, I love that sort of slight tomato stalky character that you can get from Sauvignon in the lower dashwood. Um, but yeah, we're so lucky. So many different flavours. There's a savvy out there for everyone. They just need to find the one. Uh, the picture in my mind now is that you spend harvest wandering around vineyards in every mm-hmm. sub-region of Marlborough, yeah, tasting the grapes from everywhere on the bunch. And, but, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, that's pretty oh, romantic. It, well, it is romantic. It's not so romantic for your stomach. Um, <laughs> and the enamel on your teeth, probably. Um, but it gives you a really good picture of, you know, I mean, we, you, get, you get one chance. You know, that one day in history when you go, okay, little grapeies, it's time for you to be harvested and take a trip to town, to the winery, <laughs> you know. Um, and you... I mean, you can't manipulate flavor. You know, you can manipulate acid and those kind of things, and you can even manipulate, you know, sugar content. I mean, here it's legal to add sugar if required, and sometimes we do that because if those berries are tasting absolutely bang on, I don't actually care what bricks, Mm. you know, what sugar level the fruit's at. We can add a wee bit more if necessary, but you can't add flavor. So tell me what's the flavor like out there? This year. Oh my God, we, you know, after, you know, as Nigel said, it's been a super tough growing season and I, I can't believe that the fruit is in such great condition. And what we've seen um, for the first time were certainly from the blocks we source fruit from, we've had a really clear delineation between, you know, those earlier varieties, you know, the, the Chardonnay, the Pinot Noir, and the Pinot Gris. 
they're all picked and tucked up and you know some in barrel now the pinot um certainly the chardonnay is i've got a couple of pinot grease that have actually finished fermenting so quite early and now you know here we are slam sauvignon blanc's ready so we mm. normally don't get that you know we're normally picking a bit of save you know a bit earlier but it seems to be a little bit later and i think that's a good thing you know sauvignon blanc ripening later it's kind of like um you know, when you have a tomato bush, and I always think that those tomatoes that ripen the latest taste the best because they've had slower ripening. Um, and I don't know whether that's because it's been slightly cooler and so it's just longer for those flavors to develop. Um, but yeah, I think we've had a cracker. We've been super lucky. Um, and it's going to be so exciting to see these <laughs> wines at the end of ferment, you know, I think. Yeah, I think we've had we've dodged a bullet. It's nothing better than seeing a smile on a winemaker's face as a viticulturist. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't always happen. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, and that, and that I think is one of the greatest things about the product that we make. Right, every year is different, and every year tells a story of the season. You know, Mother Nature. She's a right cow. You know, and um, I mean, I feel dreadful for you know some of our friends and colleagues up in the North Island, they've had it super tough. Um, and, you know, last year that was us, we bit, you know, so it swings and roundabouts. And, yeah, I do love it that every year it's different and every year you have to think about, okay, how do we approach this? What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just like, you know, a product that you dial up the same ingredients and, you know, whip it out, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. So like Nigel, you grew up here and the wine industry's grown up around you. Um, So I guess it'd be interesting to know how the region's changed and how you decided to become a winemaker. Yeah, so I mean, it definitely has. I mean, as you know, I grew up in Spring Creek in the mighty metropolis um, Mm. and certainly grapevines were not part of the landscape you know when I was young um there was lots of sheep and beef and other arable farming and heaps of stone fruits and pit fruits and I mean my first job was you know I hoed around broccoli plants um near Grovetown you know there was a lot of market gardening too which was really really cool um but slowly 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 you know grapevines started to to be planted, um, and the region became more well-known for wine, which was really cool because I'm not sure what it was known for <laughs> before that. Um, anyhow, I left high school and went to Christchurch and studied zoology and planted microbial science, you know, because I was interested in it. I was never going to get me a job. Um, and at the end of that, I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I quite liked wine, so I thought, oh, maybe I'll – Maybe I'll give this wine a go. And so I went to Lincoln and did the postgrad course in winemaking and viticulture and came back to Marlborough, you know. I vowed and declared at 18 that that was never going to happen, but I did and here I am. Um, and it's been – I mean, I'm getting pretty old now, you know. I feel like I've um, enjoyed this amazing growth and, um, you know, it's been a real adventure in the Marlborough wine industry, you know. It's – it's yeah I feel very lucky to have been able to be involved in it Mm. um yeah so it's turning 50 this year yeah and you've been in it 30 years this year (laughs) is that right yeah that's pretty impressive um so and amongst that time you've worked in Italy you've worked Mm. in Sicily Mm. in various places Mm. um 
got a really real taste for the old world wine yeah. scene and yeah. then our very baby on the scene is Marlborough mm. which you are clearly a passionate um, advocate for Marlborough yeah. um, when you're overseas now and you know visiting Jules Taylor Wines customers yeah um, what's their impression of Marlborough I mean what would your 18 year old self say when they heard what people say about Marlborough now oh I mean, a lot, I mean, a lot of them have been here. That's what. Well, so there's there, there are two two schools. You know, there are the people that actually really still don't know where New Zealand is, um, and then there's the ones who have been here. You know, they're a little more interested and a bit more into their wine journey. Um, but yeah, I meet those people, and they come. I think they think that it must be this really bright, vibrant, really cool place. Uh, they don't know that it's small and not near a big city, so we don't have a lot of choice when it comes to a lot of things and that we all try and escape for a wee bit. Um, but I think that they think it's um, a wonderful, bright place to be growing grapes and turning, you know, sunshine into wine. <laughs> Fantastic. So what was the story of Jules Taylor Wine then? How did that all come about? Oh, well, um, I... It was uh, 2001 was uh, the first vintage, and I was still working for Marlborough Valley Cellars, which was a contract wine facility in Riverlands, making wine for St. Clair and Canbray and Kim Crawford. And my bosses and the board were very kind and said, hey, Jules, why don't you, you know, make some wine and do your own thing? And I went, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds fun. And I never imagined that it would ever stop me from, you know, or be big enough to feed a family, you know, a non-existent family, you know, I didn't have a family. Um, but I certainly didn't believe, you know, know that it would ever allow me to leave, um, you know, full-time employment for, you know, working mm. for someone else. So I started off, made a whopping 400 cases in total of Riesling and Pinot Gris. And, yeah, it's grown since then. It does feed my skinny children. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, we're never going to be – enormous but um I love working for myself and and sort of I feel like I've built something that I mean I'm really proud of where we've ended up well I'm I don't know where that is really you know (laughs) we're not very good at planning um but yeah it's been super fun super hard at times um you know I don't think this gig's very easy um and being a small business in New Zealand Mm. is is tough mm. yeah so I know that you uh, take your grapes from a couple of your own vineyards mm-hmm. I believe and yeah. then you get to go out and find oh, those yeah. great places that and people that yeah. um, you want to get grapes yeah. from yeah. Um, I know that so for example the Recon mm-hmm. um, is dear to your heart yes. can you tell us a bit about your office when you're there? yeah so uh, I try to go to an office where there's no cell phone reception <laughs> um, that's big on my list um, and the Recon is one of those beautiful places um, at the top of the Brancourt Valley that, yeah, it's kind of a little happy place. And um, the Johns family are doing an incredible job of growing the most beautiful uh, biodynamic fruit. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. Um, and this year we have released our first ever organic wine, which is exciting, um, a Pinot Noir from up there. Um and yeah, I just love working with people who love what they're doing. You know, if the if you love what you're doing, you're going to do a good job. And so it's really nice to work with families that 
are you know interested in the end product you know they know their grapes are going to end up in a in a wine that's you know had some care and attention and that hopefully ends up on someone's table mm. in a far flying country with a you know nice meal and great friends mm. just in case that's the 2021 on the quiet yes Pinot Noir yes yeah from the Recon Village yep. just in case anyone wants that on yeah. the table yeah <laughs> swapping 110 cases of that out there somewhere <laughs> Um, okay, so um, the last few years have been quite tough in Marlborough's wine industry, well, everywhere yeah, in the world, because yeah. of COVID-19. Wellbeing was already a conversation before that. You know, yeah. the wine industry is known for its long hours. Yeah. And um, it's almost perhaps people just think that's what they should be doing. But a couple of years ago, you introduced a four-day working mm-hmm. week. Um, can you tell us what motivated that and, and how it's going? Yeah, I think a few things. I mean, everyone, um, life is busy and everyone has so many things going on. And I don't know, just the COVID thing made us really think that it would be nice for our staff to be able to have a day where they can just do life admin. And whether that be something for community or something for themselves or something for their family, um, or just to go and get a haircut. You know, instead of, you know, having to leave work early or nipping out for a long lunch or whatever, um, you have a day that you can do whatever you want. So we said to everyone, hey, choose a day. You'll still be paid for a 40-hour week. Um, Choose a day and use it well. Use it wisely. Have fun. Do something cool. Um, And we've been doing that for over two years. And I think it's been... I think it's been really great in that um, I think you get staff that are more focused in those four days that they are there um, because you've still got to get the same amount of work done. So, you know, I think you get done and do it. Um, But you know that one day in the week you can have a day to catch up, take a breath um, and do something for yourself, which is, I think really important you know we're always doing stuff for other people and trying to please other people and all that stuff so I think it's quite nice to be able to do something for you Mm. especially I guess in an industry that is intense because it's primary production and things have to happen when they happen yeah yeah especially in the production side Mm. for sure Um, it's full noise Mm. a lot of the time and I think too you know because of the dramas we've had with shipping and all that sort of stuff and over the last two years Everything, everyone has to be so much more adaptable and, and to be able to change change things all the time, you know. I think it's it's been hard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's had to be so nimble yeah. or pivoting until you're dizzy, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Nigel, out in the vineyard, I'm sure COVID impacted too. I know last year you had some staff shortages amidst that Omicron um, outbreak. How is there anything that Dog Point's done, or is it um, something that's always on the radar? It's it's always on the radar. We really um, had a tough year of it last year with um, RSC staff. We had the, the Omicron uh, variant go through, and instead of having 106 pickers, uh, we were down on some days to 12. Um, most of the time, my largest picking gang were the office and families and friends group um, <laughs> much to their love uh, and yeah it's it really has shown up and we've always been a company where we we like to staff it um, so that if someone wants to take a break they don't feel bad about taking a break taking a holiday and you're not putting the rest of your teammates under pressure 
unfortunately, we do work with Mother Nature. Um, unlike Jules, uh, we we are basically governed by how what weather she throws at us and how we react to that. So um, we we try to do a five day week. Um, some days those days have to switch around and maybe it's a, a Sunday, Monday you have your holiday or your weekend. But yeah, we, we've always tried to staff it. Um, and lately with Anna Sutherland uh, coming in as a director of viticulture, uh, that work-life balance is really high on her radar mm. and um, she's implemented great change around that thing where you – you are putting your family first. You're putting yourself first, and we all work around that. And it's yeah, it's been a great thing. But uh, through COVID, has taught us how to do things efficiently when we need to. For the original 2020 lockdown, we had skeleton staff and um, had a great harvest. Mm-hmm. Uh, 21 was the the annoying. It wasn't so bad. 2022 is when it <laughs> really hit. And not only did it hit with um, staffing, it also hit with weather. Mm, it, uh, like, this year is such a breath of fresh air. We've got um, Pinot and Chardonnay in, in the cellar. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc's coming in with a nice gap in between. We're in, we'll be hitting five and a half to six weeks worth of picking. Uh, last year, we did it all in three and a half weeks. So, yeah, big days, long days, and days without stopping and Mm. yeah it's some days you have to suck it up and do it (laughs) yeah Mm. yeah and of course this year we've got the international vintage workers back with borders open so despite Marlborough being a sleepy place and Mm -hmm. Blenheim a quiet town sounds more like a metropolis these days when you go into town I love it going in the supermarket and hearing you know different languages and yeah. people trying to read labels on this stuff and it's just oh i, I love it, it. it's a really good vibe oh, it, yeah. is, it is such a lovely time of the year yeah. when you get international people back yeah. it's just it's a real buzz yeah. it's fantastic i guess um not having them for the past two years well only having the ones that happened to be in the country mm. when and were stranded here has made us appreciate it all the more yeah so um so grateful for you coming in in the midst of the Savage Lunch. Are we allowed to call it that? And no, uh, it's, not, it's not this, not this year. No. Oh, it's not this year. It's not. No, it's, it's not because it's slow. It's slower and well, that and also you know the crop levels are pretty moderate yeah, out there. Yeah. They're not. You're not huge at all. Yeah. Um, so it's all just coming just in at a nice pace. Oh, nice. Well, <laughs> yeah. thanks for coming in. Regardless, before you go. Um, uh, I thought it'd be nice to hear from you about if you weren't in the middle of vintage and you had the time to be faffing around in your kitchen, <laughs> what would you um, what would you have tonight and what would you match it with? Uh, well, you know, I'm a fan of Ottolinghi's cooking, so we'd probably have a cheeky chicken marbella just with a green salad and probably a nice glass of Chardonnay. Yeah. I'm an avid diver. I love going out. So for me... It would be um, power, and where Jules is a fan of Ottolinghi, I'm a fan of um, Al Brown and his seafood. And so it would be power with uh, preserved lemon and tarragon butter, new potatoes, and uh, Marlborough um, Oakage Sauvignon Blanc, um, especially Section 94 goes extremely well. <laughs> yeah, John Point has a lovely one. Yeah. <laughs> <Plug, plug. laughs> Great. Well, thanks very much. Cool. Pleasure. Good one. Pleasure. Nice to see you. Bye. Bye. That was Nigel Soman of Dog Point Vineyards and Jules Taylor of Jules Taylor Wines. A big thanks for them coming out in the middle of a very busy harvest period. Join us next month when harvest will be over and all that lovely wine will be in the tank and barrel. Thanks for listening.